Hey there, I just want to give you fair warning. We're going to be talking about in detail uh, some of the issues that are going on with the coronavirus during my sermon and also we're going to be talking in detail about Jesus's suffering. So I just want to give you a heads up. Um, some of the things that I'll be talking about uh, may not be suitable for young ears and so as so you parents use your discretion in terms of what to have them hear during the sermon. It is good to be back with you guys through a video. Uh, I hope you're having a good morning at home with your families. Uh, we are blessed that we get to connect in this way. And I'm excited that we get to continue to go through our sermon series, our Easter sermon series, This Is Our King. So in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at what, what kind of king was Jesus and is Jesus? And to answer that question, we're looking specifically at uh, really the last 24 hours of Jesus's life to answer that question. And two weeks ago, we learned that Jesus is a servant king. Uh, last Sunday, we learned that Jesus is a humble king. Today, we're going to discover that Jesus is a suffering king. And my hope, my hope has been and my prayer has been through this entire series is that as we look at Jesus, who he is as a king, that you will see that Jesus truly is a king that's worth following, that's worth, worthy of our complete devotion. And so if you're a Christian, I hope this just bolsters your faith in King Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I'm hoping that God is using this series to have you consider um, giving over control of your life from yourself to him. Um, as we look at Jesus as a suffering king, we're going to attempt to answer th three questions. Um, how did Jesus suffer? Why did he suffer? And how does Jesus' suffering give us hope in the midst of our own suffering? How can it do that? I think you would agree that one thing this world needs right now is hope. We need hope. Um, we are, we've, been, we've been thrusted into a situation over this past month that is a bit like a horrible dream, right? Uh, not a bit like it. I mean, it is like it. It feels like we are in a scene from an apocalyptic Hollywood movie. Uh, it seems like it's a bad dream and where the, the reality is we're not waking up, right? This, this is reality. Already the coronavirus has killed more um, than the, the amount of people that were killed in the 9-11 attacks in our country. So that, that's already happened. It's infected and you know, the numbers I haven't even checked today, they're increasing minute by minute. So, but I know that more than 800,000 people worldwide in 178 countries have been infected by this virus. It has already killed more than 40,000 people worldwide. There are more people on lockdown around the world than the number of people that existed during World War II. Um, this is like epic proportions here. Our healthcare systems around the world are overloaded, um, understaffed, under-equipped to handle uh, this, this pandemic. 
And I, I would say that, you know, the most disheartening probably part of all of this uh, for us Americans it, are what the experts are saying. The experts are saying this coronavirus pandemic, for especially for our country, is just really getting started. It's really building up momentum. And even if we do everything nearly perfect, experts are saying that between 100 and 200,000 Americans are going to die. Um, we haven't seen anything like the least, you know, my generation for sure hasn't seen anything like it in our lifetime. More than ever, for us Americans, what's staring us in the face is that this world is broken. Um, often we can distract ourselves from that reality. We can ignore it. Um, we can see things happening in other countries and kind of just brush it off. But the reality is, and it's staring us in the face, this world's broken. And, and we can't distract ourselves with the things we normally do, right? Sports, social gatherings, going out to eat, even work for many people. Um, they no longer have that. Um, and that can't even distract them. I believe that there is tremendous hope in King Jesus. And I believe that especially when we look at his suffering, we can find hope. And I believe that there's little hope found anywhere else. Uh, for example, I think a lot of people in our country, in the Western world, that have put their trust in human progress, that our advances in technology and science, you know, it's gonna deal with all the evil in the world and it's gonna create this utopia of a world. That, uh, that view has really come crashing down. The whole world has been brought down to its knees by one single virus. Despite all of our advances in the medical world, despite all of our technological advances, we are, uh, we, I mean, this is, to me, it just blows apart this idea that we humans, by our own resources, are going to make this world, uh, this utopia of a place. Never mind in the last uh, century, it was the bloodiest century in human history. You know, some people like, all right, so where else can you turn? Can you turn to, let's say Islam, right? Well, Islam will tell you that God is not a personal God. He's not a God that you can go to for comfort uh, in time of, in times of trouble. It also tells you that uh, Allah is going to, he is going to come, he, he will judge the world, and you've got to have your act together in order for you to pass that judgment. You've got you to gotta follow the, the five pillars of truth that the Islam uh, religion um, uh, wants you to engage with. What about, what about Hinduism, right? Well, if, if you're turning to Hinduism for hope, well, how do you know that you're not suffering due to karma? You know, you could be suffering right now through this crisis because you uh, did some horrible things in your past life and now, now you're paying for it. What if we just get rid of God, right? And take that approach. Can we find hope in atheism? Well, if you turn there, uh, atheism asserts that we are just a random mix of chemicals that randomly 
uh, came together and by random chance produced life, this world, us. And so if that's the case, well, life is meaningless. There is no meaning to it. And we're all going to eventually burn out and cease to exist. And that's it. It's in the suffering of Jesus Christ where we can find tremendous hope. Uh, and in my opinion, it's our only hope. Pray with me and we'll answer the questions. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can come to you in uh, times of need. Thank you that uh, you desire to love us and to teach us and to give us the grace we need to face whatever uh, comes our way. Lord, I pray that as we consider your suffering, Lord Jesus, that we would be so full of hope in the midst of this crazy time we're in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's the, the portion of scripture we're going to be camped out in that I want to read to you, and then we'll answer those questions. How did Jesus suffer? Why did he suffer? And how can Jesus' suffering give us hope in the midst of our own suffering? So let me read to you Mark 15, 25 through 38. Now, it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking themselves, mocking, mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others himself, he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend down from the cross that we may see and believe even those who were crucified with him, reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled uh, a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let, let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Um, so first, let's, let's, let's consider... How did Jesus suffer? Well, from this passage, and if you look at the events leading right up, right before this passage, um, Jesus experienced the worst suffering that evil could produce. Uh, it was just, uh, it's hard to fathom the suffering that, that he endured. I, he was betrayed by one of his closest friends, right? All of his closest friends deserted him, even Peter, who swore he would not. 
Jesus was falsely accused by the Jewish religious leaders during his trial and they wanted him dead. You know, his own people's religious leaders wanted him dead. During his trial, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was beaten. Uh, then, uh, you know, he's placed before the Roman governor Pilate, before the crowd of his, his own people are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Can you imagine going, being for, before a crowd of your own people and they're, they're shouting for your death? And then he was scorched. Uh, Roman, uh, the Roman governor Pilate ordered Jesus to be scorched and it... Being scourged was just, it was horrific. So they would tie you uh, to a post. Um, they would take a whip that had shreds of bone or pieces of bone uh, laced in with the leather whip and they would just beat uh, the, the prisoner or the, the, the accused back until intestines were coming out, muscles, ligaments. It, uh, a lot of people died during the flogging and, and didn't even get, get to the cross, right? Um, and we know, and so Jesus, he went through all of that, right? Back, just a bloodied, mangled mess. Um, after that, we know that a group of Roman soldiers, they got around Jesus, they put a crown of thorns onto his, his head, gave him a robe, and gave him a reed, and they were mocking him, you know, hail the king of the Jews, and then they took that reed out of Jesus' hand, and they beat him over the head with it, surely driving those crowns of, that crown of thorns deeper into Jesus' skull. Remember, he had already been scourged, right? So from that point, you have, you have Jesus then. He, he is forced to carry the cross beam of, of his cross, the, the, the cross beam of it. And uh, that was 30 to 40 pounds. And of course, his, his back is you know, mangled. And it, the flogging did such a number on Jesus that he was unable to carry it. And so a, a guy named Simon was forced by a Roman soldier to carry Jesus's cross to his place of crucifixion, which was called Galgotha, which meant the place of the skull. And the reason why it was called that is because um, there were so many crucifixions that happened there and what they would do with crucified bodies is they would let them hang so wild animals and birds could eat the crucified bodies and then the bones would eventually fall to the ground. So Jesus, he's led to Golgotha and then there um, he's attached to that cross beam and then that cross beam with Jesus on it, he's nailed to it through his wrist, that is attached to the upright post that would have already been in the ground. And as Jesus was on the cross to, to be able to breathe every breath, he would have to scrape his mangled back against that beam to raise his body up uh, to breathe. And uh, this went on for six hours. Jesus was on the cross for six hours hours scraping his back um, and he most likely would have died from a mix of suffocating, a shock, a loss of blood and potentially uh, heart failure as well, a mix of all that. Uh, it was the most painful, humiliating way to die. I mean, if you look at what the ancient historians wrote about it back then, they were like, it's the most wretched of deaths. 
Um, and so Jesus, that's, that's how he suffered. And when you look at it, he faced every single form of evil. It was all thrown at him, right? Cowardiceness of his, uh, the cowardiceness of his friends, right? The, the lies, the betrayal, the desertion, the abandonment, the physical, mental uh, abuse that, that he endured, the emotional abuse that he endured. He, uh, the, the, the corrupt religious system, right? <clears throat> the corrupt Roman government, the corrupt justice system, and then he experienced the greatest weapon that evil has, death. Like it killed him. And behind it all was Satan himself. So Jesus was facing the evil forces in the spiritual realm. Um, this is so clear. If you were to look at Luke's account of, of all of this, you would read in Luke 23, 35, <clears throat> that the people that were standing by and who were insulting Jesus um, they yelled, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And you can just see that Satan's behind this because uh, the, the crowd was attacking Jesus' identity. And that's what you see Satan doing at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry in the wilderness when he was being tempted directly by Satan. Satan. Uh, Satan was attacking Jesus's identity. Like, if, you, if you're the son of God, do this, right? And if you're the son of God, and if the Father really loves you, um, like, relieve your suffering. And Satan was behind this. And so you have individual evil, you have systemic evil, and you have spiritual evil all waging war against Jesus. And it was the greatest injustice the world has ever seen because there was never a person more innocent than Jesus who suffered so, so drastically much. And so the question is, if that's how Jesus suffered, well, why did he suffer? You know, uh, the Islam God, Allah, like, uh, it's just like so beneath him. Like they, they, they don't believe that Jesus could possibly be God because Allah would never allow his majesty and his glory to endure something like that. And, and when you think of suffering king, I mean, those two words just don't even go together, right? They, they don't go together. Um, what other ruler do we know that would allow himself to, to, to be so publicly humiliated and suffer so much. Um, we, we, don't, we can't think of anybody. Um, the re reason why Jesus suffered is found in Mark 15.38. Let me read that to you. So Mark 15.38 says, The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's why Jesus suffered. Now, if you read that verse, you might well, what does that even mean, right? Well, there was a veil in the temple that separated the temple in Jerusalem where the Jewish people worshiped uh, the one true God. There was this veil inside of the temple that separated the rest of the inside of the temple from the holiest part of the temple where God's personal presence dwelt among the Jewish people. Only the high priest could go into that most holy place only once a year. And when he went in there, it was to make a sacrifice uh, for the Jewish people to pay for the Jewish people's sin. Now, when Jesus, when he breathed his last, 
and the veil in the temple was torn. What does this mean? It was God's way of showing and communicating, and this is what Mark is telling us, that Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice that paid for the sin of God's people so that now all who believe in Jesus can have access to God, unhindered access to God with a, experience God uh, in a personal relationship all the time, anytime. Now, what we see here with this, this veil being torn is that sin had to be paid for. And let me, let me just talk about why this, this is important. And Jesus, why did he have to die? He had to die to maintain God's justice and God's mercy. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 through 7 says this, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. So, I don't know if you caught the conflict in this in these two verses, but all right. So on one hand, all right, uh, God is saying, I, I am a merciful God. I am this gracious God. I'm abounding in goodness and truth and and I uh, forgive iniquity and I forgive transgression and sin. And then God follows that up. And in and, and the very same sentence, he says, uh, but by no means do I clear the guilty. That's confusing. Uh, God is saying, uh, I'm a God full of mercy who basically I'd love to forgive sinners. And on the other hand, he's saying like, but I'm a God that doesn't let any sin go unpunished. Um, and so it, 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 it seems like there's this conflict, right? Like how can I, right, so it's gotta be one or the other, either God is merciful or he is just, he can't possibly both be both merciful and just, oh, but he can't. This is why Jesus suffered and died so that God could be maximally merciful and maximally just. All right, so our sin, it was punished in Jesus. Well, wh what is sin exactly, right? Well, we've been talking about that sin is this idea that I am competent to run my life apart from God. I can be the master of my own life. I don't need God. Um, and what we do when we do that, when we sin, when we commit wrong, what, what we're saying is like, look, I know better than you, God, and I'm going to live this way. That's what, that's what sin is. And, and every wrongdoing has that behind it. And uh, what we're doing when we reject God and do our own thing and go our own way, it's kind of like a diver, you know, scuba diver who cuts the hose that is... Uh, given him oxygen, right? We, when we do that, we, when we reject God, we cut ourselves off from the source of life, goodness, and love. And the result is everything starts to break down. We start to break down internally, mentally, emotionally. We start to break down our relationships with other people start to, br to break down, right? Blame shifting, arguing, fighting. Our bodies start to de decay and fall apart, which leads to then 
physical death. In the end destination of sin and where it leads to is eternal separation from God forever. That's, that's the destination. That's where sin ultimately leads us to. And that's God's way of like, uh, that's his judgment on our sin is him handing us over uh, to uh, go to the destination that we're on. We've decided to be on the path towards. That's where it leads. And so uh, Jesus, right, uh, he suffers for all that. So we've already seen how Jesus, he suffers like he endures, you know, relational breakdown. He endures experiencing negative emotions of anxiety and terror and, and fear. He um, abs absorbs and, and, and experiences the, the result of his body like breaking down and decaying. And what is probably, was probably the most difficult part for Jesus is what is unveiled when Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus was experiencing the, the ultimate consequence that our sin leads to, which is eternal separation from God, which is such a horrible, horrible thing. I don't think we understand how horrible that is because even right now, even though we have decided to go our own way apart from God, we're not, he hasn't, God hasn't vanished from our life. And so we still benefit greatly from God's goodness. Sunrises, sunsets, cool breeze on a hot day, hobbies, family relationships and friendships, even if they're dysfunctional, we still get to enjoy them. But when we are totally separated from God, um, we are totally separated from anything good because he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Jesus, he was, he went into that place. He went into that place and that's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, this uh, old pastor, he said this about what that experience was like uh, for Jesus, God the Son, right? Because remember, Jesus has always existed with God the Father and God the Spirit forever, um, always in this loving relationship, and he was cut out of that loving community. Uh, this is what this old-time pastor uh, writes. He was without any comforts of God, no feeling that God loved him, no feeling that God pitied him, no feeling that God supported him, God was his son before, God the Father was his son before, not that son, now that son became all darkness. He was without God, he was as if he had no God. All that God had been to him before was taken from him now. He was godless, deprived of his God. He had the feeling of the condemned when the judge says, Depart from me, ye cursed, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. He felt that God said the same to him. I feel like a little child casting a stone into some deep ravine in the mountainside and listening to hear its fall, but listening all in vain. Ah, this is the hell that Christ suffered. The ocean of Christ's sufferings is unfathomable. Um, so Jesus, he absorbed all the consequences of our sin on the cross. So is God just? 
Yeah, um, he punished Jesus. He allowed Jesus to take on all the consequences of our sin. Was the penalty for our sins paid for by Jesus? Absolutely every last one of them. And then, so what's left over? Maximum mercy. Because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Because Jesus, his death, um, allowed justice to be served. Allowed sin to be atoned for. Guess what? We can uh, experience God's mercy and God can extend that mercy uh, to us. Pardon, forgiveness. God, through Jesus' death, made a way for his justice to be the maximum capacity and for his mercy to extend and flow to us in a maximum way. And so the, the, the last question I just want to uh, talk with you about is how does Jesus, his suffering, give us hope in our suffering? Well, uh, for one, we have a God that knows what it's like to suffer, not just in an intellectual way, but we have a God that has actually experienced suffering for, for, for himself. And that's why Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says of Jesus, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Look, we can go to Jesus boldly. Um, because we no longer have to fear God's justice coming on us. If we're trusting in his death to, to pay the penalty for our sin, we can approach Jesus boldly. It's a throne of grace and mercy for us. And he can totally understand what we're going through. Have you ever been in a circumstance, a difficult circumstance, and you're like, I just don't even know who I can talk to. I, I just don't have a friend that has really gone through what I'm going through. And I just don't know how they're going to be able to identify with me and really give me any kind of counsel. That's not true with Jesus. Uh, whatever you're going through, he's experienced it. If you're being, re you know, if your friends have abandoned you, guess what? He's experienced it. Um, if your family's rejecting you, guess what? Uh, he's been there. Um, if your body's breaking down, yeah, it, he's experienced that too. Um, you can go on with whatever you're experiencing. He has been through it and he can give you the grace you need as you turn to him exactly when you need it we have a god that knows experientially what it's like to suffer secondly god shares in your suffering uh, there there's this this to me this is remarkable i mean uh, this is all remarkable but in acts paul the apostle paul he was saw at this point he's on the road to damascus and he meets the resurrected christ and he's on the road to damascus to persecute christians that's what saul later paul was doing and jesus tells paul he says why are you persecuting me and what this tells us is that Jesus so identifies with his people that when they suffer, he suffers. When we hurt, he hurts. If you're hurting right now during this crisis, God is hurting with you. Um, I think another way we find hope in Jesus' suffering 
is that Jesus' suffering enables God to end evil in the world without ending us. This is huge. So the Bible repeatedly states that God, Jesus, will return. And he will get rid of evil once and for all. And this world will be lifted of the curse and it will be made new. And there will be no more evil, no more pain, no more suffering. That's what's going to happen. Um, because Jesus paid for our sins, um, when Jesus comes back to end evil, because our sins are forgiven and dealt with, he doesn't have to end us. We get to be a part of that future world. And the Bible makes clear that the sufferings we're experiencing in this present time can't even come close to comparing with the glory that awaits us um, when God makes this world new. And I would say this also, God's suffering shows us that he has the power to take evil and make it and leverage it so that it works actually for our good in amazing ways, right? This is what we see on the cross, right? Um, you see God using all of evil's momentum, strength, intelligence, all that evil has in like a judo master. He's, he uses all that energy of evil against evil to crush it and to kill it, to work for our freedom from evil. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's remarkable. And so whatever we're going through in our suffering, we can, be, we can know that even if it looks like it's just all horrible and it's just bleak, like the, the situation we're in now, God is at work for his glory and for your glory. And I would also say that uh, these promises are for those who put their, their trust in him. And so you got, have you put your trust in Jesus? Are you trusting that he absorbed God's justice in your place so that you can receive God's mercy. Look, I don't know what suffering is gonna to come to you or to myself during this coronavirus crisis. And I know there's a lot of questions as to why and, and what's going on. Um, I, I don't know all the answers, I don't have all the answers, but here's what I know it's not. For sure, it's not that God likes evil and enjoys you know, suffering and watching people suffer. That is surely not it. I mean, the cross shows us if he came and, and he was willing to suffer so greatly so that he could eventually free us from evil, surely it can't be that. Surely it can't be that God doesn't uh, love uh, and is, it surely can't be that God isn't with us. If we are his, he is with us as we suffer. He is suffering with us. He knows what it's like and he's available to um, to give us the grace we need. So surely it's not that he's abandoned us. Um, if you're a Christian, surely your suffering isn't meaningless. No matter what suffering this brings you, it's not meaningless. God is leveraging it for your ultimate good and for his glory. Um, no ounce of pain is going to be wasted. Not one drop is going to be wasted. It will all work together for your ultimate good. If you're a Christian, uh, the new world that that's going to come is, is just so astonishingly amazing. 
And I would say, if you are not a Christian, I, I don't know what all God's doing with this coronavirus, but my guess, based on his loving heart, is he wants to use this crisis to draw you to himself. And the reason why he hasn't just come and done away with evil and returned is because, as 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Let's turn to Christ um, during this, this valley that we're in. And I believe we will find all the hope we need to make it through.